0: Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast, and as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. You know, there are some people who like to be around people, and there's some people who don't. Right. There are some people who love it and like they, they energize off people. And I don't get these people, but they do. It's like they, they almost have to be like the center of attention and they're all just, yeah, yeah, the, the, people energize them. And then there's some of the rest of us where we have to get energized not around people. And the interesting thing about, about that is, is relationships. And some of us have deep, deep relationships. Some of us have a lot of acquaintances. Right. We have a, relationships. We have a lot of acquaintances. Others of us, we have like four or five friends and we go deep with them. Maybe less than five. But you, you think about it. And when it comes to relationships, we need relationships. Now, when I was in my early, early 20s, maybe even back in this was kind of a defensive. And this is probably something I don't want to admit publicly, but I will. Um, in, in the early 20s, I just, it was kind of a defensive mechanism for me. And when I would, Be around people. I was a type of person where I didn't really care if you liked me or not. Like, this is who I was. Either take it or leave it. Like, I understand there's not going to be, I'm not going to be everyone's flavor and not everyone's going to like me. And I understand that. But it's also kind of a defensive mode because if they don't like me, then they don't like me. It's their fault, not my fault. But the reality is, is you really, if you would really ask me in my 20s and even now, it's really deep down inside me. We do. We want people to like us. We want to have solid relationships. We want a good reputation. We do want that. And there's a lot of times where I've said in life where I, I've kind of gone, well, I don't care. I mean, I've acted like a fool plenty of times. Well, I just don't care what people think, right? I, I don't care. You know, especially when you're parenting, it's like, well, I don't care. They're not answering to God for my kids, and, and so you have all this this just thought process, but really what it was for me was it was a defense mechanism. And maybe you're like that and maybe you're not, but it was like, take it or leave it. I don't care if you like me or you don't. But the reality is, is, is we, we kind of push people away, but relationships are something we need. And relationships is a place where we find belonging. I mean, you can go and, and look at the one thing, there's many things we get in a relationship, but the first one, I believe, we get belonging, because when you, have, when you belong somewhere, you feel accepted. And let's just put it this way, nobody wants to be alone. Like, we can say, yeah, we, we re-energize with, without people, but honestly, does anyone like going to the movies alone? No, we don't. You like to do things. You like shared experiences with people. And so there's a sense of belonging. Loneliness is, is kind of that thing that that nobody wants to have. Nobody wants to admit that they're lonely. And so we, in relationships, we have that the loneliness is fulfilled, meaning that that we have companionship, that we have people, we have belonging. And if you even go further than that in relationships, you understand this, and is that people always, deep down inside, you, me, it doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter, it, it, it is in, inherently in everyone. You want to be loved and you want to be accepted. Hands down, love and accepted. And when you're in a healthy, solid relationship, you get that. You have love and you have acceptance. And in a healthy relationship, isn't it true that that person wants the best for you? That you have a peace of mind, that you have companionship, that you have, uh, they are not selfish. They're actually putting you first. In a healthy relationship, there's something. And in a healthy relationship, you feel loved. You feel accepted. And 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 really, really out of that blossoms trust. And in the foundation of any relationship is trust. So when when you understand this, that every relationship needs to grow. There's a desire to grow. There's a desire to move in a different direction. But I think... You, you can look at your relationships. Let's, let's do this. Your relationships are defined. And every relationship needs to be defined. So if you were to take out your cell phone, and we went out to lunch today and you showed me, let's just take your cell phone in, in how it relates to your relationships and your contacts. So in your contacts, you have people who call you and you don't answer the phone because you don't know them. You call those people like, I just don't know them. I don't answer them. I don't text them. I don't call them. There are some people in your context, whether they're co-workers, whether they're former co- co-workers, they're acquaintances, you occasionally text them. You occasionally uh, call them, but that relationship isn't really deep. So you define that as just kind of a surface relationship. And then if you go even further, if you look on your phone, you have that favorites option, right? And if you're anything like me, my favorites... Have all the people who I talk to or text most of the time, and I'll just give you a little secret. Mine are in order of how important they are. (laughs) So some of my friends are like, "Where am I on your list? Am I above your above your sister? Am I above your brother?" So it's just kind of a running joke with my friends. But it it goes down like that, and because I can tell you, if you looked at my phone, I would tell you who's important to me. I can tell you who my vital relationships are. I can tell you who I talk to for advice. I can tell you who I share my life with. And those are not just surfacey ones. Those go deep down, and they're solid. But what about your life? What does your life look like? What does your contacts look like? What does your relationships look like? Because every relationship needs to be defined. Every relationship. And so when you think about it, even kind of when you get in, if you can go back to when you're dating, or have been dating, or there's something that happens in this type of relationship where you're, you're together, but you're not together. You know, you're kind of hanging out and you're trying to figure out what are we and where's this going? Because you want to define if this is not going anywhere, then I'm out, right? I'm done. Like if this is not growing, if this is not pursuing to something, then I'm out. And, and most people want to know. So we want our, our relationship to define and we really want it to when we're dating or we're pursuing something eventually where it's going. So the thing about this is, we have all these relationships, and we define these relationships. But there's one relationship I think gets neglected. It's defined. But there's one relationship I believe that gets neglected on a day-in, day-out basis, and sometimes a weekly basis. And that's your relationship with Jesus. And today, you get to really define and be honest with yourself My relationship with Jesus, if I was to define it, how would I define it? Because the thing about Jesus is is when he was preparing to die, preparing to do what he needed to do, he gathered all his disciples and he gathered them at Caesarea Philippi in the northern part of Israel. And he began to gather them and, and these guys have been with him. They've seen him. Heal people. He's raised people. He raised Lazarus from the dead. They've seen him touch people's eyes and eyesight come back. I mean, you're following Jesus and this guy is amazing. And now he's about to go and, and, and die. And so he gets his disciples around and he begins to ask this question. He says, what do we have going on here? You followed me for about three years. They follow him eventually for three and a half years. You're following me for a couple of years now. And I want to know what's going on. And how would you Disciples, How are you going to define this relationship? Because Jesus, for him, he knows what the relationship is all about. Because he got these 12 men, and these 12 men, he knew in his mind that when he left the earth, these men were going to begin to carry on what he was doing and the work that he was doing. But did they they really understand it? So we're going to look at a passage in Matthew. And Matthew was 1, and it's in Matthew chapter 16. And what Jesus begins to do is he begins to define what he wants them to understand about the relationship. And, and what Jesus knows and understands is sometimes you can follow someone, but you can't necessarily get it all the time. And he wants this relationship defined. And Matthew, who's an eyewitness, actually writes down exactly what took place when they gathered in Caesarea Philippi. And there's what it says in, in Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus... Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? So he asked this defining question Who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? Tell me what's going on. Now, this is unusual. Him asking them this question is unusual because disciples and followers of the rabbi, which was Jesus, they would ask the questions. The rabbi never asked the questions. He knew it all. He, he didn't have to ask the questions. But Jesus here is gathering. He's gathering from his disciples. He's saying, okay, who do you say that I am? So what are people saying about me? What's going on? Now, he doesn't need to really gather this information. But again, he wants him to think. He wants them to find this relationship. So he begins to, to ask this. And what these what the people did back then was they had speculations of people who were above average right? They made judgments. I mean, think about this. If, if you saw a guy raise someone from the dead, you're going to make a judgment about him. If you saw someone right before your eyes, the guy is blind and he comes back and says, I can see, you're going to make a judgment of this Jesus character. And let's be honest. We make judgments of people all the time and people who are above average. When is the last time you made an assumption or judgment of a celebrity a sports athlete professional sports athlete or even a president at one time The answers we do it all the time and so it's it's not it's not Uncommon for us to do it and it's not uncommon back then to see this guy who is who is just kind of above normal this Jesus guy and say well we're making a judgment, we're passing judgment on them. And see, but Jesus knows here, he's going to ask them a question that's going to require feedback. Who do people say that I am? It's going to require feedback, and guess what? The feedback's not going to necessarily be positive, is it? Right, so he takes a risk and says, who do people say that I am? Because I am a little bit uncommon, people see me heal. they see me do this stuff, Well, what do they say they am? Think about this, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Let's say you walk up to your coworkers tomorrow and you say, What are people saying about me around work? Do you really want the answer? I mean, because really the feedback could be negative, couldn't it? And you might not like what they say. And you might get defensive. But see, that's what Jesus is asking. What are people saying about me? And some of us would never, ever think to say that because we're afraid. Of what would come back. But Jesus knowing the risk. Of what they're going to say. Knowing the risk of what people might think about. Who he is. He still wants to make sure and define. The relationship between him. And his disciples. So who do you say that I am? And then it launches into a springboard. Into his teaching. So he gets this in the next one. In verse 14. Excuse me. Matthew 16, 14, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and, well, still others, one of the prophets. Now, let me tell you why this is key. Now, not anybody on the outside is saying he is Jesus. They're saying, well, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're another prophet. Now, John the Baptist was the one who made, was the forerunner to Jesus, he said, okay, prepare the way for the Savior's coming. He came back, and what happened to John the Baptist was his head, he was beheaded by Herod in jail. And now they think, they say John the Baptist because, again, this is a common belief even back then, reincarnation. They believe that Jesus is a reincarnated John the Baptist. So they say John the Baptist. And then they say Elijah, and you think, well, why Elijah? Well, because in the book, the final um, book in the Old Testament is Malachi, and then Jesus, and then God is silent for 400 years, just drop dead silent until Jesus comes on the earth. And in the last pages, if you look at it, Malachi, he says, he will turn the hearts of their fathers towards each, them and vice versa, the hearts of the children towards their father. And Malachi even says that Elijah will come back. So them knowing the Old Testament, they're thinking, well, maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he has returned. Nope. And then even worse, you know what they say? Well, still, he's just a prophet. They just throw him as just a prophet in Israel's history. Well, we don't know what to classify this guy. We've seen what he's done. We kind of understand what he's done. But guess what? We're just going to classify him into a prophet in Israel's history. We, we, we can't identify him as Jesus. We don't fully understand who he is, so we're just going to say he's a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of those guys, and we're just going to put him in Israel's history. That's what he is. But see, the, the Messiah has not shown himself. Jesus has not made himself known yet. So they don't know exactly who he is. And again, he's getting the, the going from public, what does the public think about me? And now he'll, he'll narrow it down to a funnel and he'll narrow it down to his closest people, his closest followers. You've followed me for three years. Now I'm going to go to my closest friends and I'm going to ask this question. So I've got the public's opinion. I know what the public thinks about me, but then he says this in verse 15. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The truth is, the people closest to you know you. The people closest to you know your flaws, your weaknesses, and your strengths. And they've seen your ugliness. And Jesus is asking, you've seen me, you've seen what I do, who do you say that I am? Because everybody else has their own opinion. And I understand, you just gave me their own opinion of who they think they are, but you've been following me, you've been with me. And I hope you understand who I am. Because Jesus is about to reveal himself. And he wants to make sure that they've got it. He wants to make sure they actually understand who he is, that he's just not a man in history. He's not just a prophet. And so, again, Peter, like he always does, right? Peter again answers, he says this in verse 16: He says, You are the Messiah. Think about this for a second. These men left everything to follow this guy who has no home and has no idea where he's staying from night to night. It just all started with an invitation, follow me. Not even obey me. Jesus didn't say obey me. Well, he said, first, follow me. And all these men drop their stuff and they begin to follow this Jesus. And, and Peter strikes up and says, look, look, there's something different about you. We've been following you for quite some time. You are the Messiah. And the Messiah was, you are the anointed one. There's something a bit different about you, Jesus. There's something different about you. And when he said he's the Messiah, what would, he would take place and what they would understand is this. It would be kind of the cornerstone of their faith. That their faith was built on the work and the person of Jesus, and they will begin to say, you begin to see that and sense that if you look in the Book of Acts and how the church begins to flourish. So Jesus wants to make sure I'm leaving, I'm about to go, and I hope you understand who I am. And then he says this to this to them in verse twenty. He says, then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Shh, shh, shh. Keep, keep, keep quiet. Why would he say that? Why would he do that? I mean, you're thinking you have the, the best news, the good news, you can tell everyone that he's the Messiah, but Jesus says, no, no, no. Shh. The reason why he did that is because he did not reveal himself yet as a Messiah. He was not identified yet as the Messiah. And later it would say that Jesus would reveal himself of who he was and what he came to do. But that time had not come yet. And in Jewish culture and Jewish thought, they always believed that the Messiah would come and he'd be from the, the line and lineage of David. And David was this king, a man after God's own heart. And they believed that in, in the oppression of the Roman Empire at the time, that this Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman government. But he told them to be quiet because of this. If they went and told everyone, then all of a sudden an army might start to gather and an army started might to gather, and then all of a sudden you'd have the bloodshed of enemies on their hands. And that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't came to, to establish his authority and establish his kingdom by taking it by force. It's by what he did. And so you begin to see what Jesus talks about what he wants to understand and look he's just not talking to disciples jesus is talking to us all to to us today how would you define your relationship with jesus because here's the bottom line and what he says is this he says relationship with jesus begins with confession but doesn't end with concealment say that again your relationship with jesus is defined by first of all by confession but then look it doesn't end with concealment you don't conceal the good news of jesus so let me, let me talk about that for a second, because that's a spectrum for all of us. All of us are on the spectrum. From starting point to concealing the good news of Jesus. And for some of us, you're probably at the starting point. And what I mean by this is, is you know God, but you don't know God. You don't know him personally. See, in this, in this culture, we, we, our culture is what? Sunday is for football and for church. Just what it is. Move to Texas, and that's what it's all about. Football and faith. That's what Sunday's about. And most of us, have, have the, we, in our culture, we go to church on Sunday. And a lot of us have come to church, and maybe you've been in church for your whole entire life. Maybe you're coming back to church for the first time. But you're at the starting point, and you don't really know God, and so you've shown up maybe with your parents, and maybe you're coming back to church after being gone a long time out of church, and you come back, and, and for you, coming to church is something you check off the box. It's like, okay, I did my Sunday morning duty check, and then you just go on your merry way. And you really don't know God. Like You understand God, but you don't know him on a personal level. Because for you, it's just been something you've done in your culture. It's been something you've done your whole life. And for some of you, the the point and where you need to begin is the starting point for you is to begin that personal relationship with Jesus. It's not just knowing God. It's knowing God personally. It's not knowing him as Elijah or John the Baptist or another prophet. It's knowing him as the Messiah. Messiah. And see, some of you—that's the starting point. Some of you—that's where you need to be, because Jesus did it years ago. He did his part. When you're thinking about a relationship, there's a two-way street in a relationship. One person does their part; the other person does their part. And so, Jesus years ago, we we did it when we took communion. He did. He did his part. He came for you and me. See, the thing about the thing about doing our, what we want to do in our own ways—it's called sin. And when Adam and Eve were in that, when the garden and everything's good, and remember I talked a couple weeks ago that God would bring, come back and bring a new earth and a new heaven and it would just be amazing like it was in the Garden of Eden. There's no problems, there's no worries, no nothing, no sorrows. And all of a sudden, when they begin to make that choice, it separates us. And in order to get it back to this place where you're in covenant, good, solid relationship with Jesus, with with your Heavenly Father, Jesus had to die for you and I. The most horrible death Was to be crucified on the cross and he came to do that and god has done his part and that's he he sent him for you and for me but here's the thing he's done his part so you have to do your part Right, You have to accept the invitation. Maybe you're here and maybe you've just checked the box off for so long. But today, maybe the Lord's saying, I want you to know me personally. Stop playing church. Stop playing religion. I'm not Elijah. I'm not John the Baptist. I am not a person. I'm just not a prophet. I came because I love you so much. And for some of you, that's the starting point. And Jesus, he's saying, look, I want you to place your faith, your trust in me. And today you need to confess. The Bible says if you confess in your heart and, and believe with your mouth that you shall be saved, that you shall have this relationship back together. And that's what it's all about. And so you begin to confess with your mouth, and all of a sudden you just don't know God as someone. You know him personally. You know him intimately. And then there's others of you. If, if we went out, and if you're honest with yourself, here's what you would say about your relationship. Well, my relationship is just existing. Existing. It just exists. It's it's in this category of just existing. Yeah, God and I just kind of exist. That's our relationship. So if, if Jesus came to you today and says, okay, let's define your relationship with me, you would say, I'm in maintain mode. I'm just maintaining. Yeah, it's kind of going. Like you think of a car just running, but you have to maintain the car, right? You have to do certain things. You're just maintaining it with God. And what I mean by that is it's not going in a direction where it's growing your relationship with Jesus is not growing it's stagnant it's just there and so what you do and it's done fine that you occasionally pray to God you're occasionally praying to him and you occasionally say okay lord well bless this food or protect me on this trip or would you just do this and and i just and it's just it's just kind of casual prayer kind of casual communication and then maybe sometimes it goes even further than that and, and Jesus is in, and hes like this, this guy in your back pocket and you need to pull him out every time you have trouble. Jesus, would you just get me out of trouble? Just help me. Would you just help me? Or my, oh, oh oh my gosh, here's what I need. I, I need, I need um, protection. I need health right now. I need, um, I just need you to intervene. It's kind of like you just pull him out of your back pocket and go, can you just intervene right here, right now? And that's the extent of your relationship. And God's like this genie. He's like this, oh, I need help. Rub the lamp and and he's going to do what he wants to do. And for some of you, you're like, okay, well, he didn't do what I asked him to do. What's going on? There's danger in that. You know what the danger is? And this is why people get mad at God is because the relationship is always on this I'm just going to take from God and I'm just going to always ask and rub the genie and say, okay, God, God, this is what I need you to do. And then when he doesn't do it, you're disappointed, you're angry, and you say, God doesn't work and faith doesn't work, so I'm not going to place my trust in him anymore. But you got the relationship wrong. He doesn't do what you want him to do. You do what he asks you to do. You obey him. It's not the other way around. You don't tell him what to do. He's the creator of the universe. But sometimes we think that, God, we can just have him in our back pocket and throw him out when we need when we need help. Look, that's just maintain moan. That's just crying out. He's a genie to you. And see, the relationship is this. In a relationship, and I've said this plenty of times, in a relationship there's a give and there's a take. And people who always take wear out the giver. And the people who give, and this person always takes, the person that gives, they get frustrated. Well, why don't you ever give back? You're selfish. And then you get in a big argument, you get in a big blow-up. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. If you're just going to be all about yourself, and you can't think of anybody else, then I'm going in another direction. So they define the relationship as this person just always takes, takes, takes. And look, here's the thing about God. God's relational design for you and me is not just to take. We give and we take in the relationship. And see, it's not defined by, hey, I just want you to, I'm gonna rub my lamp and you show up when I want you to show up. Or I'm just gonna maintain. It's not what God wants. God, you know He wants what He wants for you? He wants an intimate, personal relationship with you that is not stagnant that doesn't maintain but that grows healthy things grow unless it's a disease right healthy things should grow and your relationship with jesus should grow and grow and grow and that's what he wants for you he wants to be he wants to know you intimately he wants that on a daily basis that's what he wants so there's some of you that exist. Some of you need the starting point, And then there's others of you in this room. You're like Peter. Yeah, he's the Messiah. And I get that. But there's this thing that, where it's kind of stopped at that point. And yeah, your relationship might be growing. But the problem is, is you have the best news in the world. And nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. Because you kind of have this idea that it's just, I'll just conceal it. I'm not going to talk about it. Or we don't live our ways in such a life, like Sarah said up here, that we live in such a way that we are light that illuminates and salt that makes a difference. And so people don't know if you really follow Jesus. And so we kind of conceal it. No one's going to know. But see, here's the thing about Peter. Peter, after Jesus dies, and Peter who makes a mistake, Peter who denies Jesus three times, Peter gets up there, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes through like a wind, and they begin to speak in in different languages, and all of a sudden he gets up there, and he begins to talk, and speak, and preach. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 2. And this is Peter, the man who said he's the Messiah, the man who messed up. It says in verse 23 and 24, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because, look, it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. It was impossible. So he gets up there and he begins to tell them what happened and why they killed Jesus. And then he says this in verse 37. But when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Their question had a ring of desperation. What do we do? You just told us what happened. What do we do? And he begins to, to tell them repent and what? Be baptized. How should they respond? And see, now, now they know who Jesus is. He's not just John the Baptist, he's not Elijah, he's not just another prophet, he is the Son of God. He's Messiah, and they knew, and Jesus' identity was not hidden, and to this day, Jesus' identity is not hidden. It's not hidden. It's out in the open. But here's the thing with you and I, and with some of us, we conceal it. We're afraid. You know what happens? And look, I'm a pastor, and this happens to me as well. I understand. I get it. This fear and this anxiety comes up in our lives. I just, uh, hopefully, they don't know I'm Christian, or hopefully, they don't ask me about Jesus because I don't know what to say. And we kind of get this like, and we shy away from it, and we get fearful. And we've got the best medicine that can heal people, and we don't give them the medicine. And look, I've done it, I've been scared. I'm a pastor. Like it doesn't come naturally for me. I understand it. There are times where I go and I just live my life, and and if people ask me and I'm a pastor, then fine. But I'm not just going to go out there and let them know, because they, obviously they're going to think differently. But there's other things. But here's the thing. But he says this: Don't conceal the good news. Live in such a way that your life is pleasing, and that people see a difference in your life. And then when they ask you, don't be afraid. Don't shy away. You know what the one thing I learned about this culture and learning in learning to Texas? Talking about Jesus is okay. I'm not joking. When I, was in, when I was in the West Coast, you said Jesus, people looked at you like you had three heads. And there was no conversation about Jesus. Here it's, it's more open. So I'm telling you, it's okay if they come to you and ask you. And if you don't have the answer, I, let me go look it up. But we can't conceal what Jesus has done. If we want the church to grow, the church started to grow because they said, look, silver and gold, I have none, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. I have Jesus. And so sometimes we get to a place where we start to conceal. Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to know. The solution to you concealing, the solution is this. It's called boldness. The solution is boldness. Now, you're like, Whoa, wait, wait a second, Pastor. I'm not bold. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I'm not bold either. I can't do this on my own. But here's the thing about Peter. And here's what he said. He not only preached it, but then what happens is, is he gets thrown into jail for saying silver and gold and raising this guy and healing this guy. They throw him and John in jail. And when they throw them in jail, they're trying, they're trying to figure out how to accuse them. And, and they don't know what to do with them. And here's the thing about John and Peter. They are thrown in for touching a guy and talking the name of Jesus. They want him to stop saying the name of Jesus, want him to stop saying it, so they throw them in jail. And here's what Peter and John say. They say, all right, Lord, can you just help us get out of prison? No, they didn't say that at all. They didn't say, hey, Lord, bless me, help me. Jesus, just come out of my pocket and deliver me out of the jail. Here's what they said. And it's shocking and I love this verse and it's something I try to aspire to do every day. And here's what it says in in Acts chapter 4 verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. It didn't say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and protect us. Lord, consider their threats and let us get out of jail. Lord, consider their, their threats and would you bless me, help me, and protect my family. It's would you please... Enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. Basically, we're not going to shut up. And we're going to keep going and we're going to keep talking. Great boldness. And see, for some of us, here's the thing. You're not just going to go out there and say, well, I'm going to be bold today. the pastor said, so let's go do it. No, it's not going to happen like that. You rely on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You get up every day and you say, Lord, if there's an opportunity for me to tell someone about Jesus, then I'm going to walk through the door. But here's what I need, God, because I'm afraid. I need boldness. Because as a pastor, I get a little scared. So I can imagine what you, what you feel. But here's what we got to do. we got to rely on the Holy Spirit and just say, hey, Lord, would you just do a work in our lives? Would you do something in our lives? And would you just help us to speak your word with boldness? Let's just do that. And the church will begin to grow. But we can't conceal it. So here's my my kind of question to you. God is calling you to define your relationship with him. And where are you today? Where are you today? Just be honest with yourself. Because there are times in my life I would say, I've been in these stages. There's times in my life right now, I am in a certain stage. I get it. But see, the the thing about relationships is the most important relationship gets your attention and you're going to move in that direction. The most important relationship in your life is going to get your attention and you're going to move in that direction. If you don't move in a specific direction or specific relationship, what's the relationship going to do? It's going to dissolve. It's going to just, just done. And if you're not growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to fizzle out and dissolve. And that is not what your Heavenly Father wants for you. He doesn't want it to dissolve. He wants it to be intimate, close, and to know you. He wants to fully know you, and He wants you to fully know Him. And here's the thing. We can't keep silent. And we just need to be at that place where we say, God, give us boldness. Give us boldness because we all know someone in here who doesn't know or have accepted the love of Jesus that needs it. And maybe God is waiting for you to say, I'm willing. Would you give me boldness? So I don't know where you're on the spectrum, but I just want to pray for you and I want you to be honest with the Lord. And if you're at a place where you need to confess and just say, Lord, I need to know you personally. I've been going to church, checking off a box. Just say, Lord, I today I just... Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you come in my heart? And would you just do a work in me? And there's others of you. Here's what I want you to ask when I I start to pray and just give you a few moments with the Lord. If you're maintaining, ask the Lord to get out of maintain mode. And ask the Lord for forgiveness for thinking that he's a genie. And say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And allow him to do that. And then finally, if you're concealing and you're scared, I get it. It's not going to happen overnight, but allow the Lord to touch you and say, Lord, I'm going to make one step forward. And today I'm saying, give me boldness to respond, to act as salt and light. Or when somebody asks you, what do I have that's different? Give me boldness so I can speak. That's what I want. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.